Luke chapter 9, verse 1, picks up, says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staffs nor bag, nor bread nor money, and do not have two, tun two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they depart, departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. That's a neat thing to read, uh, verses 1 through 6. So this is a separate occasion than what, we're, what we'll read when we get to chapter 10, where he sends out the 70. So this is sending out the 12 disciples. And uh, they're going to learn, as we see here, uh, the, the lessons of uh, God's provision and power and how to minister. Because he told them not to take a bunch of extra stuff with you. Take what you have and go. And he gives very specific instructions on, on what they're allowed to take and what they're not. And uh, that they're supposed to stay there, uh, you know, whatever house they would have. And, and that's where you'll go in and you'll minister, uh, you know, out of that household and then move on when you're ready to. And if a city doesn't accept you, he says you go outside and, and shake the dust out. So as we look at this, um, they they were told to use what they received. What they received was was power from the Lord. It says that he gave them power and authority. So those, those two things. Now, where we're at right now, we're in the Lord's last year of ministry on this earth. So he's beginning his last year of his life and, and ministry here. So, I'm, and so he is giving the apostles power. This, this power that he's giving them uh, is, is that power to minister, to heal, uh, and he gives them the authority. So if you think of power, I was, um, I was blessed to hear uh, Chuck sharing something about power. And uh, the dunamis is the word that's used in the original writings. And that, that power is, um, it, it was, he went on to say that, that Buddha had, you know, if, if somebody is, is um, that Buddha was saying that, uh, that men's problems stem from men's sinful desires, the desire to, for material possessions. And uh, that, uh, that if we could, if mankind could conquer that, then uh, you know you're not going to have that many problems. You're not going to have those problems. And and what was pointed out is that okay, that that is a true saying. That's absolutely true. But it's sinful flesh that's already winning the battle. There isn't the Holy Spirit given to win that battle. See the under the, the difference in the two. I mean, there's the 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 the, the statement. Yes, very very much accurate. That a lot of what we deal with is because of our own sinful desires. But that's where that stops. And, you know, you can strive, you can try to get to that 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 high point. Chuck used an example of trying to count, trying to climb Mount Everest without any tools, without any uh, climbing ropes, without anything. You're not going to do it. You have to have those things to be able to to safely do that, and to be given that power, given that authority by the Holy Spirit, then we can conquer our sin. Then we can uh, then we can be useful in ministry. You know, outside of the spirit, we're just spinning our wheels. So just that the, they, they are, are given the power of the spirit and authority over demons. So that, that authority, being able to speak with authority, they have the power and authority of God with them. 
And uh, that that is, um, you know, if you think of the seven sons of Sceva, and you think of, you know, they, they used the name of Jesus, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit there. So they didn't have the power and authority that they needed to be able to uh, to do what they wanted to do in, in dealing with demons. That power and authority that comes from the Lord, that's the important thing that they needed. So uh, they were used, uh, they, they here are being uh, used to share what they have been given, to proclaim the gospel, and to minister to others. And, and um, God had given them that power uh, to do that, and without that they're not going to be able to do it. They, they're just going to be spinning their wheels. They can go out and they can say to something, they can say to somebody who's sick, be healed. You know, Will has shared with us before uh, of, of false teachers, uh, you know, claiming that, that people were, were uh, everybody was healed in a whole hospital. And the hospital's like, no, they weren't. No, actually, no. I, I, you know, here's a record of the ones that died. And it's the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. So uh, what the Lord has taken them is don't take anything extra. And, you know, you, all you need is what I'm giving you, the power and authority I'm giving you. And, uh, and he gives them those, those simple instructions and those, uh, the, the instructions of just go preach the gospel. These are, uh, looking at it, realize, it's important for us to realize that these are ordinary men. These are ordinary people. And you've heard me say before, ordinary people used by God to do extraordinary things by the power of his spirit. This is an example of that. These 12 men, including Judas, he sent out 12 men to minister, and Judas was there. We know the story of Judas. Judas experienced all this. And that's a sobering thought, just to think of this man went out and ministered and watched people being healed and was given the power and authority, and he had it there. You know, it, it, it makes me wonder, you know, the, the inside commentary. What was, what was Judas doing during this time? You know, as I was reading this, I'm like, what was, what was he doing? You know, we don't, we don't have that, so I'm not going to elaborate on it and say, oh, I bet he was doing this and that. I wonder personally, it's not, a, not, a, uh, not from the scripture, I wonder personally if he was just hanging out with his, with his ministry mate kind of watching it happen. I don't know. But, uh, but we know of Judas that he was stealing all along from the ministry. And we know that he was the one that, that, uh, that uh, betrayed the Lord. So, and, uh, so I, I don't know. That's just my, my personal speculation. But those 12 were out there and uh, called to, to minister. Now, if you, if you look at in the book of Acts, when uh, Peter and John are walking into the temple and the man's reaching out for alms, and when he's reaching out for alms, he's asking for something. And Peter says to him, you know, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have in the name of, uh, of Jesus Christ, stand up. And that man was healed, and it says that he's leaping and noticing. That power to be able to do that is an amazing thing. When the Lord has, has empowered us, when he has not only empowered us, but then these guys are sent to go and to minister. That empowerment and the, uh, to be sent to do those things. And it, I, I love in verse 6 it says, so they departed. So they went. They were commanded to do so, so they did. It's time to go. You know, it reminds me of uh, the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke, you know, with, with Israel back in the Old Testament in Exodus when they're, when they're uh, being led and uh, being, uh, that the Lord's leading them, uh, pillar of smoke by day and pillar of fire by night. It, those things, and if they knew that it was time as the pillar moved, then they knew it was time to get up and go. And it's important for us to be sensitive to what the Lord is telling us and, and how he's leading us. 
now, going back to the rejection, where Jesus says, if a city doesn't accept you, shake off the very dust from, the, uh, from your feet as a testimony against them. That's a Jewish custom that when they would leave a Gentile, uh, Gentile city, they would shake out the dust so as not to take that dust from the Gentile city into um, an Israeli territory. And um, so what it was is, is really it's just a sign of rejection. You reject me, I'll reject you. And, uh, and if you look at uh, this same account, or just Matthew's account of this, in uh, Matthew 10, 15, it says that um, it'll be more tolerable for, it'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will for that city that's rejecting them in the name of Jesus. And uh, so it's a powerful thing that these guys are sent out to do. Uh, they were sent out by Jesus. They were empowered to work miracles. And, and then come back. Now, this was, this was a ministry lesson for them. Yes, it ministered to so many other people, and they were, uh, they were uh, brought uh, to the Lord. They, they, were, uh, they received the gospel, but they were also healed. And uh, just a, an amazing thing to see and, and, and to be, uh, uh, be released from that power of demons. Those things, just these men, these 12 men, uh, were able to go out and do that. And then carry that with them after the Lord a year later died and into ministry. So this is a time and rose again. Uh, this was a time for them. It was a time of training. So when the Lord came, he had he, his, his purpose for being here was to be the sacrifice, to teach us and, and to sacrifice his own life. And he had a mission to 12, train up these 12 men to minister, which ended up being 11, of course, we know. But to train these men to, and so that they might be able to minister. So this is this is very much a training opportunity uh, for them, and they're sent out to do that. And I love how it just says, "All these things is just so they departed and went through." They just they went. They were commanded by the Lord, and I think they probably looked at each other and, "All right, let's go," you know, we, and uh, see what, see what God has for us. Verse seven. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard all uh, that was done by him. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. Herod, this Herod we're, we're reading about is Herod Antipas, who's the son of Herod the Great, and He's sitting in a political position that has his family ruling over this uh, this Palestinian region. Um, it's during and before. Sorry, it's it's before and during the first century um, of Christianity. So you can look back at Herod the Great in Luke two, and uh, well, the beginning of Luke. I think it's uh, Luke two, um, and and understand who his father was, a wicked man, you know, who, who ordered the the execution of. Um, all children under the age of two. I mean, that's just wicked, wicked man because he was afraid of uh, the the ruler that that would come. And you know, hey, where did the where did where did the scriptures say that the Messiah would come from? Oh, okay. So then he sends and he's got a, a wicked plan there. That was his dad. So he sought to sought to see Jesus, but um, but that didn't happen until the morning of his trial. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter twenty three, we're going to look a little bit ahead. Verse 6, staying right in the book of Luke. 
So he had sought to see Jesus because he'd heard a lot about him. I mean, when when you look back here, um, you know, he's hearing these great things of Jesus, and he wanted to see him. And we're going to get a glimpse into you know why he wanted to see him. He just wanted some tricks done. He wanted he wanted to witness a miracle. He wanted to see something. So Luke twenty three, we're going to see that he's scornfully treated and and uh, uh, and, and rejected. Verse six says, "When Pilate heard of uh, sorry, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he had, as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who also was in Jerusalem at the time. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him, and he'd hoped to see some miracle done by him. Like I said, he was there. He just wanted to see Jesus to, to see some tricks. He wanted to see a miracle. Verse 9, then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for they previously had been at enmity uh, with each other. So that's when he actually gets to see Jesus. And when the Lord is not willing to just do some tricks for him, he, he gets offended, and in his offense, just, uh, just scornfully treats the Lord, says uh, uh, the, the wording used here, uh, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Put a robe on him. They beat him and mocked him. Sent him away. You're not going to do tricks for me? Then go away. And that's in the mindset of, and you've heard me say it uh, before, that uh, you think of, think of Judas and everything that Judas saw, and he still didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't have a saving knowledge of Jesus. And I, I've, uh, I've said it, and it's not, I'm not the first one to say it, and I, I, I know that. But seeing is, is not believing. You think of, of what Judas saw, uh, that uh, there was no inner faith within him uh, that called him to trust in the Lord for salvation. Ultimately rejected the Lord, although he saw all this stuff firsthand. And based on what we saw here, was used by the Lord to minister to people. Like I said, my own little commentary of whether he actually did anything or not, not biblical. That's just John's thought and process on it. He was sent out. The scripture says it. I'm not going to contest the word. But So that man was used by the Lord and had a position in serving the Lord and still didn't believe. Even if, if uh, uh, Herod had seen these miracles, it doesn't mean he was going to believe. He just wanted to see something cool happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bring in somebody who's maimed. Bring in somebody who's maimed so I can be entertained. Remember who this Herod is. This Herod Antipas is the one that beheaded John the Baptist. He even said it. John the Baptist, I'd beheaded. Not something I'd want to have as like an accolade in my life. When Jesus said there's no greater prophet than John the Baptist. Okay, so you killed, other than Jesus, the greatest prophet that's ever lived. Not what I want on my headstone. You know, not what I, I would ever want. And it, for him, he's, oh, yeah. And, and remember the story. I mean, I mean, he, his, uh, Herodias, his wife, um, hated, hated John the Baptist. 
And what ends up happening is, is because she's offended that John told them, the, the two of them, that it's not lawful for her to be his wife because she was married to Antipas' brother. She's trying to think of ways to kill Jesus. I know how to get to him through a sinful flesh. Has her attractive daughter go in and do a, uh, a dance in front of a bunch of guys? And, and no doubt it's not a, you know, a cute little dance. Um, you know, it, it was an exotic dance in front of them. And it's so much so that he, he makes a stupid statement and says, I'll give you up to half of everything. What do you want? And he knows because of everybody that's sitting there with him that he's stuck. He's got, he's got no other uh, way around it but to, but to when she says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Wow. So now he's got to execute John. And it said that he was sad. Uh, he was sorrowful about it. But this man, is, he's wicked. He's a wicked man. And uh, so when he says, you know, John the Baptist, I'd beheaded. Yep, yep. And uh, that should have uh, that should have totally crushed you. You know, he just in his pride and sinfulness, he's just carrying on in his life. So that man, that man, he just wanted to see something. So I where where we read that he said nothing in front of him when when they finally had that. Um, that encounter, uh, I'm just going to read from you to you from Isaiah 53, just so you don't have to uh, do some gymnastics this morning here. But from Isaiah 53, verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That that prophecy from Isaiah was fulfilled at that point, right in front of his eyes. He didn't even know. A miraculous thing of prophecy being fulfilled in front of him, he didn't even know that. He wanted to see a trick. He actually got to see a prophecy fulfilled in front of his eyes and didn't even recognize it. He stood there quietly, and so they just mocked him and beat him. It says that Herod and Pilate became friends back in Luke chapter 9, that they became friends uh, after this, and, and we're, we're going back to Luke 9. Uh, Luke 13.32, uh, uh, when uh, they were trying to, uh, the disciples and people around Jesus were trying to warn Jesus uh, that uh, later on, as we'll read uh, when we get there at some point, uh, they were trying to warn Jesus that if he continued where he's going, that Herod's going to know you're there and he's trying to kill you, and Jesus isn't scared a bit. Jesus' response is, go tell the same Herod, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will be perfected. The Lord didn't make it a secret to his disciples that he was going to die and, and, and rise again. But he also didn't shy away. When he said, you know what, you think I'm worried about Herod, you go tell him these things. That's the man we're, we're reading of here, the man that wanted to just see Jesus, to see him do a trick. We know what Jesus thought of him. Verse 10, Luke chapter 9. I want to just look at the first three words, and the apostles. So when they were sent out in the beginning of this chapter, they're described as disciples, learners, people that are learning. Here they're described as apostles those who were sent out. So they, 
what we see here is the they they're they're disciples and they're very much learning, but now they have been sent out. So they're described as disciples at the beginning of the chapter, and now after they've uh, they've gone out and returned, they're described as apostles. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then they took them and went aside privately. Uh, then he took them and went aside uh, privately into a deserted place belonging to the city uh, called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew, uh, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. I, I'm blessed by, by verse 11. So as, as we read in verse 10, he takes them to a deserted place where there is no, you know, there, there are no people there. And when people come and kind of disrupt that, there isn't a, hey, get out of here. We're, we're trying to have some alone time. That's why we came to this deserted place. We learn more of the Lord's heart to minister, that the Lord wants us to come to him. He, he makes it so clear to us, you know, about, you know, let the little children come to me. We are, we are little children, that, that mindset, that our hearts should, should come to him as, as little children. It's just such a blessing. That, I mean, th this might have been a chance for them to kind of regroup after being sent out and go uh, discuss some more things and everything. And the multitudes still come. And I'm just blessed to see that it says here that he received them. So he received them and spoke to them. The crowds are coming. They still want God. They still want the gospel. They still want to be ministered to. They're hungry, and they, they want to be preached to. Uh, and, he, and he meets them, and he cares for their needs. You know, I've shared with the kids upstairs, and, and uh, it's still, I, I know it's, it's something, uh, because sometimes the kids upstairs are anywhere from 4 to age 12. My daughter, uh, my youngest daughter, Natalie, is 11, and um, we 12 here. We were just talking about it. She was saying, so when I'm 14, and I realized, Jen and I are like, oh, my goodness, that's less than two and a half years away, and our youngest. And she, I can't remember what she was talking about when she was, turned 14 do you remember it all and no. yeah so this was last night so that tells you where my brain is but uh she was saying something and, and just realizing um that time has gone by so fast and that she's that she's growing there and she'll be 14 here in just a couple of years and it's amazing to think of but when, when i'm upstairs with them and uh, and just trying to explain to them how much and how intimately god knows them and i know i've discussed it down here that he knows the number of hairs on our head that's an amazing, it still blows me away every time I think of it. I, I, I love my wife. I love my kids. And I, I don't know them that well. I wish I did, but the Lord instantly, you know, uh, we uh, just, I won't go on that rabbit trail. It's just a blessing. It's a blessing to know how well the Lord knows us and how much he wants to minister to us. So he's not too busy. Hey guys, we're busy. Can you guys come back tomorrow? It's the crowds coming here. We're going to see as that crowd comes here, the Lord has another plan uh, here. And it's, it's going to be a, a great, uh, another way for the, the apostles um, to, be, uh, to be ministered to and to learn and grow. But So they come, and uh, in verse 11 it says that they came, and, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those uh, in need of healing. So he's meeting their needs even out in the desert. Verse 12 says, when the day began to wear away, the 12 came and said to him, send on the multitudes away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions for we are in a deserted place. So uh, kind of a funny thing to look at when you're looking at verse 12, 
uh, it seems that they now believe that they need to counsel Jesus on how to minister. <laughs> so, you know, hey, why don't you send them away? It's getting late and everything. You know, just, just hey, logistically, we don't have anything to feed them with, and you know, there's no McDonald's out here. So let's just send them, uh, send them away. So, so uh, I, I don't know if that's more of the the. Uh, I don't know if that's the position they were taking, but I love that Jesus's response in verse thirteen says, "But he said to them, you give them something to eat." So we already know that the Lord has another plan in, in, in place here. And you're familiar with the scripture. I know you are. Um, and they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, which we learn is a little boy's lunch. Unless we go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. Then he just said, said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. So uh, we, we can get into a point where as we see a situation, we think that God doesn't understand our situation. Uh, I have I don't know how many times I've done this in my mind. When I'm worried about the billion things I've got to do with work and home or whatever, and go, well, you know, I, I and I'm, I'm praying, and I'm, I, my mind will have this stupid thought, like, God doesn't understand what it is to be in this situation. You know, like, are you serious? <laughs> He's only created the, you know, uh, all the universe and, and, uh, and I don't think that he understands my little world and what I'm going through. And our minds can get into that mindset of, you don't understand how big this thing is. You don't understand how difficult this will be. So uh, why don't you just take care of this? And why don't, why don't we, you know, jump around this or go around this obstacle? And the Lord says, well, why don't you feed them? Why don't you do the impossible? And they're like, yeah, we only have a kid's lunch here. We're going to be able to do that. And uh, so now, now they're seeing. Okay, maybe instead of us, you know, acknowledge instead of us counseling the Lord, uh, we we need to be obedient. So we we don't have that power. We're um, we can often be limited as these guys were with their with their lunch. And um, you know what we're seeing is they're the main ingredient that the Lord is trying to. So remember, these guys just came off of ministering and healing. And now they're worried about lunch. And what they're dealing with here is uh, forgetting the main ingredient uh, for ministry, and that is God. Uh, without God, then uh, we look at this or that and say, not going to happen. With God, all things are possible. Knowing that we've been sent to do whatever it may be. Snake handling stupid. We should not be snake handling snakes and saying, hey, we got God on our side. We're going to be okay. We should not tempt the Lord your God. Don't jump off the temple, right? You know, it just we can do stupid things with the assumption that because we are Christians, God is just going to magically make everything happen. Where we're going, where we're sent, where God guides, He provides. When we just wander off and we think we're in control, that's that's where the problems happen. Verse fifteen. So back up a little bit to 14. Uh, for there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them sit down. And he took, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set them before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And 12 baskets uh, of the leftover fragments were taken, taken up by them. There's a lot in those 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 few verses that you can really just be blessed by and, and encouraged by. Uh, five thousand now that's five thousand men. There's also women and children there. So you're you're talking of of I don't know ten to fifteen thousand people 
There's a lot of people. That that is a big group of people. Five thousand men are are mentioned here. At least five thousand, and it just grows from there with whoever you know, kids that might be tagging along or whatever. I am blessed here that the Lord speaks of organization, and He has them sit down in groups of fifty. Instead of having a bunch of people and be like, yeah, okay, we're just going to send those out and having people pass them along and, hey, did you get a loaf? And, you know, tossing it back and everything, break them up, and then they can all minister. And they can be ministered to in, in manageable groups. And it's important for our lives to have organization in it, for ministry to have organization. Can't just be running around, you know, trying to put out fires and doing this and that. To have a ministry of organization, a life with organization in it. It's, you know, organization is so important in our lives. So I just, I love that he has them sit down in the groups. It says here that in verse eight, verse 17, so that they all ate and were filled. They all ate. Everybody there ate. And they didn't all just get a crumb. It wasn't, it wasn't like this little, little crumb about the size of, of what we just had uh, for communion. They all ate and were filled. They all were provided for, everybody. So much so that there were 12 baskets left over. Now, just thinking of the scripture and thinking of how many disciples and apostles, or disciples slash apostles there are, 12. 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 baskets brought back up. I, I can't help but look at that and go, huh, number 12, okay. This is a ministry opportunity, a ministry, ministry lesson for them. It's a ministry to them. Oh, you guys didn't think we could do it? One per person. A whole basket. Twelve baskets left over. Wait a minute. Twelve, 12, uh, 12 disciples here. You know, the, what the Lord does is that it, there, there is nothing more that we need for ministry than the Lord. And he proved that to them in uh, verses 1 through 6. Go out and minister. Don't take extra stuff with you. Just go. We see later on that he says, hey, you know what? When you when you go, take this. It's important, and, and do take those things. It's important for us to know the Lord's voice and what he's calling us to do and be obedient to exactly that. Very important for us to hear the Lord and to be obedient to what he has for us. And he's going to bless us. To go out and do things on our own when we haven't been sent is a recipe for disaster. When the Lord has led us. And it's clear and uh, ways to know that are, okay, in your, in your prayer life, the Lord is speaking to us. And you see it in the Word. And then you're talking with, you know, with Will or brothers and sisters, and this comes up. And, or, hey, I was praying, and, and uh, the Lord brought you up. And just uh, we might hear it from somebody and say, the Lord told me uh, just to encourage you with this verse. That's how we know that the Lord is speaking to us. Those are ways. I mean, there's no one one cookie cutter way, but those are ways that we're most often going to deal with um, the revelation of the Lord and and how to how to what to do with that. So it's important for us to be in tune um, and to be in the Word and, and to be in fellowship because that's how we're going to uh, grow and learn from the Lord. Israel's fulfillment. I love that I just wrote down here. Uh, each of the the the, the 12 baskets, it can be symbolic of Israel understanding that Jesus is the one to bring them fulfillment. The 12 baskets, the, the, the disciples themselves, 12 tribes, 12 disciples. Ultimately, what we see here 
as we're reading, is that our fulfillment should be in Christ. There was no other hope they had. There was no other meal. They, they, they could have uh, been fed. There was nothing there. They're out in the deserted area. And the Lord's saying, I am what you need. It's important here for, in, in looking at this ministry, there was nothing that the disciples took into this. They had a kid brought something, but they didn't have anything in their pockets. They didn't have money. They couldn't go do anything. So as the Lord provided, they were able to minister. And it's important. What, what came to me is when we are, um, and each one of us, have, if you're not familiar, uh, any, anybody that's a believer, you now have a ministry. You, you're on, we're, we're, we're instantly called into serving the Lord. Yes, there are times that, were, that might be very small because we're, we're new in our, our faith and we're walking. But how many times did we hear when somebody's ministered to that the next thing you just go and tell just go tell the, the things that God has done for you. Just the basics. This is what God just did in my life. I don't know everything, but I know what God just did in my life. You know, the woman at the well. Okay, well, you know, can I? Uh, she went and told everybody, and, and her message to everybody is, look, I don't understand everything, but he knows everything about me and and how that ministered to to her and, and administered to them. So it's important for us. There, It's not about, if if you haven't learned it already and, and heard some of the the the, the headlines, they're very discouraging. And um, there are songs that, that sound great that I hear on Christian radio, but I, I just, I know they're filler. I, I, I just know that, Hey, this, this has a great sound, but I'm not, I, I'm not drawn. I don't learn about the Lord from this song. It may, it may excite me because they have the building of the song. And it's all quiet at the beginning. And there's nothing wrong with how a song is laid out. But if someone is trying to, to, to manipulate um, my feelings to make me feel as though the spirit is ministering to me and that he doesn't minister to me unless I have this type of sound or these lights or this fog or, Hey, this setup of the, of, I, I really need to be in this scenario to really hear from God. That's a very dangerous place for us to be. That's a, that's a, that's a scary place for us to exist, to be in a spot where we are, reliant on what's happening around us to believe that we are going to uh, grow and experience the Lord. So uh, it, it's just an encouragement here. Um, you know, it's not, it's not everything that we have and, you know, this perfect sound system, uh, all, all these things, those aren't the things that are, 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 are needed in ministry. Yes. If you have a, a nice building that you can minister and you have some, you know, heat and air conditioning, those things, those are, yes, we do have some necessities, but it's the so much of the church today is you can't do ministry unless you have the special lights and the fog and the cool and you got to dress like this and you got pastors with the weird pants that I've and shoes that I you know that some I saw a picture of one and I'm like those look like elf shoes you know and you know just some some weirdness there and I'm just ah, man it just seems like everybody's trying so hard to be on a on a cutting edge of even style the what we need to minister here is God alone. His spirit providing everything we need, just as he sent them out and said, don't take a bunch of stuff with you. You're, you don't need those. Just go out and proclaim the gospel. I'm going to give you the power the, and the authority you need to do what you need to do. And if you're going to go stay in a house, yeah, they can provide for you. If they reject you, then, uh, then shake dust off, uh, off your robe and keep going. 
what we need is God's spirit and God's love to minister. We don't, there, there isn't this, this uh, magical um, ingredient that we need to be used by the Lord. So important for us to understand that Jesus is what we need and he is going to lead us uh, and, and work in and through us uh, to accomplish the ministry that he wants done. We'll go a little bit further. Uh, verse 18, and it happened as he was alone praying, his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they said, they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say that one of, uh, say that one of the prophets has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. Now this, this portion of scripture we could spend a whole day discussing. There's a lot here. Who, you know, so let's back up in the beginning of verse 18. It says, and it happened as he was alone praying. We see all throughout the scripture that Jesus was alone praying, spending that. The, the, the creator of heaven and earth, God the Son, is in his private communion with God the Father. Just going to talk to his Father. If there's any... Great, there, there'll never be a greater lesson of the necessity of prayer than God the Son praying to God the Father. God the Father, just, just talking, going and talking to the Lord. It's a lesson to us. If Jesus is doing it, we should be doing it. Now, I think that oftentimes uh, for us, we're more apt to pray when things aren't going well in our lives. When I'm in a, a period of distress in my life, right? I'm freaking out. I'm gonna, you know, I'm just gonna pray about it. Or someone we know is sick, uh, a loved one, or or whatever it may be. Or we need something. I really need this, and I can't get it, so I'm gonna pray to God, and uh, you know, kind of treat him like a genie. You know, uh, my kids and I we watched Aladdin the other day, and you know, every, every time I see you doing that, I'm going, man, you know that that the mindset that you could just find this lamp and that somebody's going to pop out of it and give you anything you want. You get your three wishes and, um, and all those things. And, and just such a, uh, it's a funny, it's a, obviously a, a, a sinful um, thing to think about just because it's all based on what you want. You know, what do you want? Oh, I, you know, I want, I want to win the, the mega bucks or whatever they're called now, uh, the Powerball, uh, whatever it is, just, you know, just those things there. But the, the Lord isn't a genie, and, and uh, we have that opportunity to go and pray to the Lord uh, every single day. Yes, we're going to bring our needs, and we're going to bring our sorrows. We're going to give our bring our anxieties and lift those up to the Lord. But we shouldn't use that just as the only time that we're praying. It shouldn't be that the only time I'm going to pray is this and that. You know, I prayed about it. Uh, we should have a life of prayer. Very important for us. So the Lord, it says here, um, he was alone praying and his, his disciples joined him. Uh, and he asked him, he asked him the question, well, you know, who, who do the crowds say that I am? And they, they, they bring up here that um, they're saying, you know, the former prophets that have returned and um, others, others say uh, that it's Elijah that, that um, is, is, is back because Elijah didn't die. He was taken up in the chariots and, uh, others are saying it's it's John the Baptist who was just killed. So the, the mindset that somebody would even think that, but they must not have heard of Jesus before. The word hadn't traveled to them yet. But because we know that John the Baptist lost his head physically, um, 
because he was faithful to preach the word. So uh, he he hears them out, and they, they come out, and they say these things to him. And then he asks the question. Now he's getting to the meat of what, he, what he, he's, he's making um, even more evident to them. He says, but who do you say that I am? And that's an important question for us. We can go, Jesus, okay, he's the son of God. Yes, he's the savior of the world. He's, you know, and we can, we can put several different titles, Lion of the tribe of Judah. We can, uh, you know, there's so many different things as you go through that we, can, that we can put on Jesus. The question is, is what do we do with that same question? Now, who, who is Jesus? That's the, that's the ultimate question for mankind is who is Jesus Christ? For the believer, he's our, he's our, he's our God. He's our savior. You know, for uh, for those who who aren't walking with him, that's a big question. Who is Jesus? And I, I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a was a fantastic writer, and and uh, he he presented the argument that uh, Jesus is one of three things: he's either Lord, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Those three options, when you look at the life of Jesus and you're considering who he is, those are our only three options. He's either who he says he was, he's crazy, or he's a liar. Those are the only options you can come to. Because if you want to just pick and choose little things and go, yeah, he was a great teacher, this and that, wouldn't necessarily call him a, you know, a liar, um, but I don't know who he is who he says he was. Okay, so you think he's a lunatic then. You know, that's a that's a big thing for somebody to be able to chew on. So put that in your ministry backpack. Who is Jesus? And encourage them. Get into the scripture and say, hey, if, if you don't know these things, you know, you get a pocket Bible or whatever. Hey, do you have a Bible at home? Or today, it's very easy for everybody that we know, uh, unless they have the flip phone. There are a couple of people uh, that are still rocking the flip phone, and I absolutely love it. Some people are totally bugged by that. I love the flip phone. I'm sorry. I think it's great. I have a smartphone. But... If you can just say to them, if you don't have a Bible, share share with them. Hey, can I text you the Bible app? Boom! Now you got a Bible. Read it. Now you got my phone number. Text me. You, know, you can have those discussions. Find out who Jesus is because that's going to change. And that's the the most important question to any of us. Who is Jesus? There are all kinds of other questions that can be asked in life, but when it comes down to it, there's uh, the ultimate question is who is Jesus? Uh, Peter had the right answer. Oh Peter, he um he gets a bad rap. You know, Peter Peter is, is known as people say that Petered out. And I know I've described this before, so I you know beg your pardon and just ask your patience. But so many people say, Oh, don't be a doubting Thomas. Yeah. We're all of those things. We all doubt the Lord. We all uh, uh, you know spiritually or, or mentally want to touch those wounds to make sure that they're real. You know, we all we all will fail. Don't peter out. And Peter didn't peter out. Peter, Peter messed up, and and but he, he, the Lord told him he was going to reject him. That wasn't the end of Peter. The Lord restored him, and, and Peter walked with the Lord and ultimately died for the Lord. Christian uh, Christian history teaches us uh, that he was crucified upside down after watching his wife be crucified. He said, "I'm not worthy to die." I, that's Christian tradition. People will say you know, those things. but you know, So Peter has the right answer. You are the Christ of God. 
we're out of time, so we're going to end up picking up uh, more next time. But the ultimate question of who is Jesus, the question is, who is he and what do we do with him? That's a question that, as a Christian, we can carry through our whole lives. Who is Jesus? Who is the Lord? Because once we've accepted him and we're walking with him, then we're obedient to him. And we're going to want to spend time with him every day. We're going to want to spend that, that time alone praying. You know, who do we say that he is? You know, what do we have to do with Christ personally? Yeah, we're going to stop there, but what do we have to do? What do we have to share about Jesus? Just a lot of ministry things that we can look at. This whole, what, what we're reading here is the, the, the majority of what we just read, verses 1 through 6 and 10 through um, ten through 20, are teaching us about Jesus and about ministry. These are things that we should have, we should know, and we should carry with us. The main ingredient for us to be able to minister is the Holy Spirit. We have to have the Spirit leading us. We have to know the voice of our Lord. We know his voice by knowing his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. And Lord, that, that we are actually blessed enough to not only be redeemed because of your grace where we can't earn your favor, and your mercy where we are, are, are spared what we actually deserve, Lord, just because of your love. There's no magic trick where there's nothing we need to do to be able to come near to you, but just to realize our own sin and to come to the perfect one and ask for forgiveness and ask you to live in us, to change us, to forgive us, to wash us clean. Let us start over. And Lord, it's such a blessing to see that as we start over, you build us. We become your disciples. And we're built and strengthened. And, and, and Lord, that we would be sent out, that we would be apostles. Ones that as, as we're growing, we can be sent and be used by you. Amazing thing for us to think of. Not only do you love us and do you minister to us, but do you also work in and through us. Help us, Lord, to be plugged into you, that the main ingredient in our life is you. That we don't try to do things in our, in our lives without you. Trying to do ministry, trying to, whatever ministry that is, Lord. Ministry could just be cleaning. Um, it could be as simple as just sharing something with somebody. Whatever the ministry you have, Lord, help us to be prayerful about our ministry. We all have one. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to, to know it and to do it well and to seek you, uh, that you would strengthen us in it, that we would be about what you have for us, plugged into you, walking with you each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.